0: I wanted to turn our attention to look at uh, one of the more strange stories in the life of Jesus, the Ascension. Um, but before we uh, turn our attention there, let me, I'm going to read from you Acts chapter 1, and then I'm going to pray, and then, and then we'll look closely at um, what the Lord is saying to us through this passage. So let's read from Acts chapter 1. I believe it's in your bulletin. You can also open up your Bible or um, turn, turn to it any other, way that, any other device you might have that has the Bible on it. But let's read God's Word now. Please give your, your attention to God's Word. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they said to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, it's always an intimidating and a joy filled experience to be a guest preacher and to look out at people that I don't know very well. And my guess is that there is a mixed bag of people in this room people who are suffering deeply and want to know why life has to hurt so bad, uh, people who are just having a wonderful Canada Day weekend and feeling supremely blessed and need to be reminded to give thanksgiving to you, uh, people that are just bored. Bored of the faith, people that are just uh, not sure how passionate they are uh, about this whole story of Jesus and people who are here that are just overwhelmed, washed up in your grace, very confident of your work in their lives. It's hard to know exactly who's in this room and how exactly to see your word penetrate their heart. So we put ourselves at your mercy and ask your spirit to take these words and make them uh, to our lives. Your words, that we might have a real encounter with you, the risen Jesus Christ. That your Holy Spirit might flow into us and empower us in ways that we we weren't even aware of before. And that you would be honored and glorified, our heavenly Father. These things we ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I don't know how uh, much you know of the life and story of Jesus Christ, but. Um, For the the most part, I would say that most of the Western world is fairly familiar with the sort of vague, the big parameters of the life of Jesus. He's this man who's born in uh, modern day, sort of near uh, modern day Jerusalem. He uh, lives a life and wanders around this area teaching as some sort of rabbi. And he gets into a bit of a fight with the religious establishment and dies sort of a martyr's death. Uh, But the mystery or the the power of the Christian message is not just that he died this martyr's death because of his teaching, but that he actually uh, was in the grave for three days, was truly and really dead, his heart stopped beating, and then he resurrected and rose from the dead. This is sort of what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. And up to this point, if you are telling the story of Christianity to a neighbor, or if you're even thinking about it yourself, this is absolutely exciting news, that, God, uh, that a person has come into our world who uh, was able to defeat death and resurrect from the dead. And as you learn more about this Jesus and as you see his teachings, you begin to see that he actually is indeed God coming into our world, breaking into our world, taking on flesh. And, and being fully human and fully God, I mean, this is just an overwhelming story. And I think a lot of people, even who wouldn't identify as Christians, can say this is a powerful idea. This is captivating. But probably one of the most puzzling elements of the life of Jesus comes some 40 days after his resurrection. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus has, wanders around a little bit longer for 40 days. He meets with people and speaks with people. And then we have this passage here where it seems as though he's like an astronaut with a jetpack on. And he just sort of shoots into the clouds and he disappears. And we call this the ascension. And most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about the ascension, and why it's important to who Jesus is, and why it matters uh, for our faith. But and if we're not careful, the ascension will become for us one of the most disappointing elements about it. And that is because, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you're not like me, but this actually is, in some ways, if I'm not careful, this becomes one of the disappointing elements in the life of Jesus. Because here Jesus is, he's resurrected from the dead, He's a true human being, he's defeated death, and he's he's alive again. His body is is animated, and yet there's one piece of evidence on the earth that can substantiate these sort of claims of Christianity, set Christianity apart as historically true and accurate, and it's this body that has defeated death and will never die again. And yet we read that this body now disappears. It's taken away. And there's a way, uh, there's a time in my life, and there's a way of thinking about this where I find this discouraging. I don't know about you especially if you're thinking about evangelism, and you share the story of Christianity with people, and people say all of it sounds excellent. Uh, The fact that this man, Jesus, defeated death, and he's resurrected from the dead, this is unbelievable. I'm interested. How do I have an experience with this Jesus? How can I see that this is true? Where is this resurrected body that will never die again? And You say, oh, well, he's sort of ascended into heaven. He disappeared. He's not to be found now. This is something that, for the average non-Christian, says you know, feels like, well, isn't that very convenient? You know, this is very, very great of you to talk about this historical religion that has a, a real physical body, and yet the actual source of proof is nowhere to be found. And so the question I want to ask you, uh, is this ascension good news? Is this important for your faith? I want that question to sort of sit with you as we think about this passage. And I want, to, I want you to think about, um, is this a good strategy Is God's strategy of sort of rescuing the world and including Jesus, resurrecting from the dead and ascending into heaven, is this a decent strategy? Or would it have been better for Jesus to stay on earth and to go on some sort of world tour, you know, get a plane like the the really hip preachers, and go on a world tour and show off this resurrected body and have these huge, huge gatherings and uh, see Christianity grow that way? Would it be better for him to submit himself to some of the most intense laboratory experiments of our day and let a bunch of people with white coats um, poke him and, and, and explore this resurrected body? Would that have been a better strategy or is this a good strategy to ascend into the heavens as he did? Okay, that's what I want to think about. And I want to look at this passage, especially as it tells the story of the ascension and, th- and think about this, what God's up to as Jesus ascends into the heavens. And I want to try to make the case that this story should be good news for you. I want you to, as you think about Jesus ascending into the heaven from this point on, my hopes are that you would say that this is, this is an exciting story. So the way I want to look at this passage is I want to look at the movement that we can find in this passage. I want to look at what goes up, what goes out, and what comes down. And in it, I hope we'll see that the news for us. So let's begin by looking at what goes up. And this is relatively obvious in the passage. You don't have to have some sort of seminary degree to be able to answer, uh, to see what goes up. Verse 9 says it most clearly. And when Jesus had said these things, as the apostles were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So, uh, in one sense, this is relatively obvious. What goes up into the heavens is Jesus' physical and real human resurrected body. Uh, the body that rose from the dead, that had a, a sort of rejuvenated heartbeat, I would presume. The body that you know, could be touched, and the body that was fleshy, just like yours and mine. That had had experienced death and had resurrected and defeated death, this is what goes up. It's not as though Jesus is, um, what the story is telling us is that his soul comes up, that he's some sort of like, um, you know, superhero figure that can sort of unzip his body and sort of shed that layer and his spirit ascends into the heaven. What this passage is telling us is that his real body ascends into the heavens. And I wanna ask, is this good news? And uh, the weather's too nice, and I don't know if I could keep you paying attention long enough. But I think if you were to look at the details of this passage and the way that Luke is telling us this story, Luke, the historian, the the doctor, is telling us how Jesus ascended into the heavens, I think as you looked at the details through the Bible, you'd be convinced that this is very good news. And one reason that is, is because this passage says Jesus ascends into the clouds. Now, I may be wrong, but I don't think the ancients um, were so naive to believe that if you could just sort of Transcend the clouds somehow. You would enter into the heavens. I think the ancients understood the clouds uh, sort of uh, in a very metaphorical way that some something mysterious is beyond our realm, and Jesus is ascending into the clouds and into that realm. And if you were to read the Bible, you would see uh, regularly clouds described as the the realm in which God dwells. He sort of sits on the clouds. He's he's in this realm of the clouds, and they're sort of a metaphor or a picture for the the place in which God takes up residence. So what this passage is telling us is that what goes up is Jesus' real and physical body, but where it goes is into God's very presence, into uh, the realm of heaven. Maybe I could uh, say it this way, that this is what the Bible was after all along. This is where the Bible was headed all along. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, the whole story of the Bible is about God existing in a realm that's sort of separate and distant from ours. It's almost like a different dimension of of our universe. But his realm is able, at times, as he wishes, to interact with our realm. And our realm of earth and physical things and chairs and wood floors and bread and wine, the realm of heaven throughout the Bible can frequently break into our world, whether that's in the Garden of Eden or that's in a temple or that's uh, in, in what we're doing here as we think about things like the Lord's Supper. And what this passage is saying is that heaven is not some sort of um, place in the sky that's far, far away that um, on our last day we will sort of hop on a big uh, spaceship and sort of be transported to. Heaven is a much more a, a realm or dimension of our world that overlaps our world that we don't have access to as human beings. It's sort of a, a, t- a timeless sort of Place that, that interacts with the physical world in a unique way. I'm scratching my head for descriptions because I know there are kids in here, but I hope, that, I hope that that sort of makes sense. And so what we're reading here is that Jesus somehow interacts with that other realm, his physical body like yours and mine, again, with the hair on his arms and uh, the, the, the hunger that he experiences in his resurrected life, this body is now transported into a realm that humans were frequently cut off from and had very limited and uh, small interaction with. And this is good news, because now that Jesus' physical body is moved into this uh, new and unique realm, it means that we have access to Jesus in a way that is not limited by the physical sort of space-time continuum we find ourselves on. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, Part of what happens when you're a pastor is uh, you start... You, st- you find yourself uh, seeing human problems and you constantly are trying to think of inventions that you could come up with that could make a lot of money since pastoring is not going to make you rich. Sort of ways that you could invent things that would solve sort of basic human problems that you're seeing all day long. And so as of recently I've had a desire to invent something, you might um, understand why. But I've had this desire to like invent a company or an app that like you would pay tons of money to get this thing. But when you press the button, Within 15 minutes, a babysitter will arrive at your house. I think you can understand why this is something that I think would change the world. It would revolutionize life. And uh, let's just say for a minute that I uh, got really passionate about this, and I noticed there's other competition out there, but none of them have the 15-minute guarantee that I can give you in my app. No matter how crazy your children are driving you, you only have to put up with them for 15 more minutes, and someone will relieve you from duty. So let's say I build this app and I set up a team and a network of well-trained, very quick babysitters that can get to all regions in 15 minutes and I have a whole system in place and a whole team ready to go and this this app is ready uh, to be launched and to change the world. Uh, How is it that the resources that I built up and the power of this app, how is it that I can um, now put this thing into an area where it's universally people can draw upon the services, somehow get it into the app stores? So that it could be wherever you are in the world, so long as I have served this particular service, you could download this app, and now the, the benefits of my hard labor and my brilliant idea, to be honest, the benefits of all that are now at your very fingertips. No matter where you are, you can draw upon the benefits of these services. Does that make sense? And so in the same way, when I take all this work and I sort of move it into the realm of the Internet, uh, this now has a different ability for people to access it. So also, Jesus and who he was, sacrificially giving of his life, living the perfect life, never never uh, sort of moving towards his own selfish desires in a way that would put him in, in contradistinction with his creator, constantly obeying his heavenly father, and then sacrificing his life for the sins of the world. Now, all that he is and all that he has done has been brought into a new realm, which is much greater than the internet. It's been brought into this realm of heaven, which intersects with our world in a unique way, and and we can draw and access in a unique way. And now the benefits of what Jesus has done are at our fingertips, so to speak. Much better than downloading an app. No matter where you are, he's a real human being with real human ears like yours and mine, and yet when we pray, he now can hear our prayers as they're sort of brought into this realm that is unique and distinct from ours. This might be complicated, but I'd hope you'd spend some time wrestling through and thinking about this, because I think this is good news. Because what it means is this, that Jesus was a real human being like you and me. He was a son of Adam, a son of Eve, and now he has been brought into God's realm, and he didn't get kicked out. Not only did he not get kicked out, he was welcomed into the home and he was given the the seat of power, the seat at the right hand of God. And all of us now can look up to him as a greater brother or as a greater king or as a dear friend and call out to him no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter how buried you feel and have access to who he is and what he has done. And this is good news because it means that whenever the council of the Godhead, whenever God is coming together to make decisions and this is extremely mysterious and hard to grasp. But whenever they're sitting around the board table, so to speak, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, trying to decide how will we rule the world, what will we do with this issue that has come upon our world, now at the board table, so to speak, sits one like you in every way, hair follicles and all, who knows what it's like to be weak, who knows what it's like to suffer, he knows what it's like to feel pain who knows what it's like to feel like everything is against him. Now he sits in prayer. He advocates for you. He says, Father, have mercy on this one. This is my daughter. Look at these wounds. I rescued this one. Yes, the habitual sin never seems to go away, but Father, have mercy. Grant pardon. Because of what I have done, I am working to through and in this person to restore and rescue them. And what this means is now that Jesus is in this realm, all of our relationship with God has fundamentally changed. And in a real way, we have access into God's realm in a way we didn't before. And we have an advocate there pleading our case in ways that never came before. So now before I lose you, I'll move quicker through the other parts. This is, this is probably the most complex part, but I hope you understand that this is good news for us now, that a son of Adam, flesh and bone, just like you and me, is now in the realm of the heavens. We have access to him and what he has done wherever we are, and he is also ruling the world, taking part in the counsel of the Godhead, pleading and interceding for you. This is good news. But this could sound like, what I'm saying is Christianity just it gives you a great retirement package, and life is miserable. All the way up to that time when your retirement package kicks in, and I don't think it should feel that way. So let's let's look at why it is actually good news even now. This ascension, by looking at what goes out. And um, if you look at if you look at the passage, especially verse five, you see that Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come on them soon, and they read their Bible, their whole life, what we call the Old Testament, and they knew a day was coming when God would send His hero to rescue the nation of Israel, and he would usher in this sort of age of the Messiah. And a lot of common day thinking during this time when, when Luke is writing is that finally God had sent the warrior to drive out the oppressive Romans to reestablish national sovereignty. And certainly these disciples are looking at the resurrected Jesus and saying, you know, what kind of cabinet position am I going to get? You know, I was loyal with you from the beginning. How, am, how is my life about to change now that the age of the Messiah, the time of the hero, has been ushered in? And they say, when, when, what's going to happen? What, is it, what kind of timeline are we working with? And Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but he says, I don't think you under... He, he, he points out the fact that he doesn't think that they understand what's going on. He says, it's not for you to know the exact time. And then Jesus commissions them to be his witnesses, which is his heralds to the end of the earth. And this, again, is something that, that um, might seem foreign. So Jesus tells them, you're going to be my heralds. Then he ascends into the earth, and He ascends into the realm of heaven. And what Jesus is saying to them, and whats what they're and spread this message, that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God in the control room of heaven, sort of at the director's chair, in the conductor's podium, the CEO's office, however you might want to look at it, that Jesus has been invited into the realm of heaven where all the happenings of earth are, are discussed, and all of the power and control over earth resides. And Jesus has been given this big position, and this is the way that he is going to be the king. This is what the age of the Messiah is going to look like. This is what Israel's hero is doing. He will rule over all the earth by, by residing in the realm of heaven. That's where his throne is. That's where he will sit at the control panels. And what Jesus is commissioning these disciples to do is to go around and say, there is a new king in town. There is a new king, and his name is Jesus. Go announce that there has been a battle, there has been what seemed like a coup, there has been what seems like a rebellion, and in reality what has happened is a new king has defeated all the powers that resided over the earth, all the sort of evil, uh, demonic, satanic forces that resided over the earth. The new king has destroyed them, and he is now uh, reigning from his throne in heaven, and this is the message that you need to go spread. And in the same way a herald in the ancient Near East Obviously, they didn't have news, they didn't have television the same way we would do. You would send out heralds to all corners of the kingdom and announce that there's a new king in charge and allegiance to this king is demanded. And these heralds would run around from city to city and huge parties would take place because anarchy is bad and, and kings are good. Now these first disciples are sent out as heralds and told to go spread this good news that there's a new king in town. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. Last winter, around Christmas time, I was uh, asked to officiate a wedding in Prince Edward County, and I don't know if, don't know if anyone has ever been in Prince Edward County in winter. Because to be honest, as I was driving around, I thought I was the only human being uh, near in this area. And I decided I was a bit early for the wedding, and I had some downtime, and I decided I wanted to check out Sandbanks Provincial Park. And I pulled in, you know, ready to pay my like forty-seven dollar fee or whatever it is to get your car through the do- the gate, and there was no one at the gate. I thought. Oh, boy, this is amazing. And I realized in winter, you know, during winter hours, the park's just open. And so I drove into the park, and I found a nice place to park and to sort of walk out. And it's December. It was cold, so I'm all bundled up. But I decided to just walk around on the sandbanks. And I had the place to myself. And honestly, it was, it was an extremely uh, beautiful experience. And I was in the time of life where I was wrestling through some hard questions, and I thought, well, this will be a great place to spend some time peacefully uh, thinking and spend some time in prayer. And so I wandered around for a while just taking in all the scenery, enjoying the beautiful sand, enjoying sort of from, from my, with my eye just down the coast that I saw something, these bright colors, and what do you know, I saw a hammock set out, and I saw chairs and a table, and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is my lucky day. Not only do I have the whole park to myself, But literally, I could live here for a couple hours if I really want to. I could take a nap or I could sit at this this table and spend some time. And so I worked my way over to this uh, area, and I sat down, and it really was uh, wonderfully peaceful, and I felt, um, you know, this was a great area to pray and to think about things. And as I started to pray and uh, sit still, I heard someone yell, what are you doing here? Which isn't what you want to hear when you're setting out to pray. And um, (laughs) as I'm I'm sitting there, uh, this man approaches me with his dog barking at me saying, what are you doing here? Why are you on my chair? <laughs> Somehow, some, some way, as I was walking around uh, Sandbanks Provincial Park, I had wandered away from the boundaries of the park into someone's private property. And when a messenger came and said, that's my chair, everything changed. <laughs> now my plans changed. My plans to sit here for a couple hours and pray, they totally changed. I had to get out of this person's property because it didn't belong to me and I didn't have any access to it, any rights to walk on this particular land. And this is, this is what we're seeing here as Jesus is sending out these heralds. These heralds are to run throughout all the world and say, there is a new king now and you are on his property. And being on his property changes everything. This world now belongs to him. He is its rightful king, and you are walking on his land. And this is the message that they were sent out in the, to their time, in a very difficult time to sh- share this message, just like ours, a, a world similar to ours where people will say, it's my body, I can do whatever I want to, with whomever I want to, whenever I want to. You know, this is my life, I can conduct my business with whomever I want to, in a manner that I want to. Uh, they were sent out as well with this radical message to say this simply is not true. You are on someone's property. This is Christ's world, and you will answer to him for how uh, you conduct yourself. You may think you can do as you well please, but there is a true king, and he will take care of business one day. We're not on our own land. We're on Jesus' land. He's the true king, and everything is under his watchful eye. And this could come across as bad news, as though there's now some sort of regime that is sort of watching us on CCTV constantly, making sure that we behave ourselves and looking to constantly smack us on the wrist. But it's good news if you remember that the one who's king was one who had flesh and bones like you and me, who knows what it feels like to be weak, who knows what it feels like to hunger, who knows what it feels like to be bullied and and ganged up upon. This is the one who's the true king and he will judge rightly. And he's one that rules by grace He's one that gave of his life to ascend to this throne. And he is working now to heal and to restore, to mend your broken heart, to fix all that is wrong. So this is, this is part of the reason why the ascension is good news even now, is that what it means is that Jesus is the rightful king now. But let's, let's come to our third point and look at what comes down. And I have to be brief here. You can ask your Pastor Paul more details about what it means that the Spirit comes down and this baptism of the Spirit. But particularly verses 5 and 8, we see that and there's a coming, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we see that, that with the coming of this Holy Spirit, the apostles are told they will receive power when this Holy Spirit comes upon them so that they can be witnesses. And this is what comes down. It's only after Jesus' ascension that the Holy Spirit, God's sort of uh, very presence, sort of comes in, in a more powerful and a more full way, becomes the animating force of all human beings who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And again, there's a there's so many questions about Uh, this issue of the Holy Spirit, and we'll have to leave those for another time. If I ever get invited back a third time, maybe. (laughs) But, um, you know, this was a common theme that the the Bible plays out. It's not as though this is a major surprise. If you want to, later in the evening, you could look up Ezekiel 39, where we read that God was going to wipe out His enemies and destroy them and rescue His people. And and upon doing that, He was going to pour out His Spirit on, on His people, so His people would know that He is always with them. And what's happening is that as Jesus ascends into heaven and as he sits in the right hand, now he, the Father and the Son, send the Spirit down to fill us up to know that God is always with us. And the Spirit empowers these 12 disciples, well, 11 disciples at this time, who are quite cowardly, who we read were hiding behind locked doors. He moves into their life. He teaches them to love again. He teaches them to hope in seasons of despair. And he animates and motivates them and gives them courage so that these 12 ordinary men, these 11 actually ordinary men, become a radical force that a third of the world's population will eventually uh, identify with the name of Christ, as we know today. This is all the working of the Spirit uh, inside these men, animating them and controlling them and filling them and empowering them to do things they never thought they could do. And so this should be good news to you today, whether you're a doctor or a mother or a lawyer, or a plumber. God now is accessible in Jesus Christ. He's the king over this earth, no matter how much injustice you you experience. He will one day set all things to right. And when you hold out your hands and you say, fill me with your spirit, he is more than faithful. The victorious king will send his spirit deeply upon you to teach you how to love again, (laughs) to teach you how to hope, to animate you to be witnesses in areas you couldn't think you could go, to move into the darkness and decay in cities, places where people ought not go, to move into those places and shine the light of the gospel. This is why the ascension is good news for us today. With that, I'll, I'll stop, but let's say a prayer, and then we'll go to the Lord's Supper. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that... Um, this plan, this story of Jesus resurrecting from the dead is just tremendous news. All, for all of us know that death is part of life, but something that we don't want to be part of life. And it's great news to know that when we trust in Jesus, we can have, uh, we can have power over death, we can experience life unending through Jesus. This is great news. And as we think about uh, you, Jesus, ascending and, and the way in which you are now sitting at the right hand of God, this stretches our imagination to its very limits but we thank you that you now advocate for us as a human being with a human voice to our Father, that you command your Spirit to fill us up, that you advocate and encourage us through your Spirit, and that you are the great King watching over this world and you will set all things to right. Father, this is tough to believe and so we hold on to it by faith. We would ask that you would strengthen our weak and feeble faith, encourage us, When we get discouraged, when we're doubting, would you grant to us assurance and confidence? And when we're despairing, would you give to us great hope? We thank you for the work of Jesus and what you're doing in our world. We submit ourselves afresh to Jesus, to you as King, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and empower us that we could be witnesses here to Dundas and really all over Canada, a country desperately in need. It's the name of Christ I ask these things. Amen.